0: Welcome to the Injury Law Pod, the podcast that explores and demystifies the complex world of personal injury law. Each week, Missouri personal injury attorney Eric Bartlett dives into the legal issues surrounding personal injury cases to help you understand your rights and options when seeking justice and compensation for personal injuries. Join Eric as he shares his experience in real-life case studies, interviews guests, and answers your questions about personal injury law. The information Eric shares will Help level the playing field if you have a personal injury claim. So sit back, relax, and let's explore the world of personal injury law together. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Injury Law Pod. I am your host, Eric Bartlett, 27 year personal injury lawyer. And this is the podcast that covers all things personal injury law related. We have one mission, which is to try and give people information uh, that can help them when dealing with insurance companies on injury claims. There is definitely a system in place. The insurance companies know the ins and the outs of the process, and people that have never had to make a claim like this in their life? Well, as I always say, they're in the danger zone. They're dealing with insurance companies. They're dealing with multi-billion dollar companies that know how to utilize everything in their means to deny compensation that should otherwise be fairly paid out and again an insurance company is a for-profit business so they are not there to be somebody's friend they are there simply to make money and the way they do that is by getting premiums from people and then paying out as little as they have to so as always i hope you find the information that uh, we're putting out here useful And uh, today we're talking about motorcycle accidents. Motorcycle accidents uh, present their own unique scenario, unlike just your standard car accident, uh, something like that. uh, Motorcycle accidents require a little more uh, attention to detail, maybe, or at least different detail. Um, due to some of the circumstances that come about. So I hope you find again this podcast helpful and we're just going to jump right in and talk about motorcycles and motorcycle accidents. And um, obviously I don't think there's any question that motorcycles have been increasing in popularity um, over the years. I've Obviously, I've gone through statistics here, kind of preparing for this podcast. And from 2002 to 2020, um, it was basically a 100% increase in motorcycles uh, on the road. Motorcycle sales, motorcycle registrations. And so, also of interest, it had a bump. Uh, From 2020 to 2021, of almost 10% of new registrations for motorcycles. I have a feeling that was probably the COVID effect, right? Everybody was buying RV campers, buying bicycles, probably buying motorcycles because they were wanting to get outside. They were wanting to get away. You know, we were in such a lockdown state and uh, everybody was looking for other ways to. Uh, enjoy life in a really uh, hard time. So motorcycles have been increasing. And also of interest is uh, to some degree, I know here in Missouri, like we repealed the helmet law. Um, Now there's only 18 states that require motorcyclists to have helmets when they're riding. And so uh, I think helmet laws have uh, been trending backwards um certainly not forwards so that's also of interest and you know motorcycles the popularity again obviously through the summer interestingly enough right what's the most dangerous month for motorcyclists august yeah everybody's out right it's summer and um riding their motorcycles and listen no judgment here um so I'm not a motorcyclist. I uh, don't even think I could play one on TV. Um, I've been an avid bicyclist for uh, most of my life, especially my uh, starting in my late teens and then all the way till today. I have ridden a bike on the streets. I've ridden in various parts of the country. Um, I commuted from my office uh or to my office from home on a bicycle for years I currently do a lot of mountain biking I get it I love I don't think there's any better way to see the country um go on a trip or just be out right when you're just uh there's nothing around you boxing you in you're out there you're feeling the elements and um Yeah, no, it's, I get it, but man, motorcycles are dangerous. Uh, And, you know, unfortunately, of course I've heard, right. Like medical people um, call them donor cycles, right. Like people get hurt and and get killed. And and then, you know, there's organ donations. Um, I know on our side of things, um, what we see in all the safety features and, um, roadway design safety, uh, modifications and things that maybe have reduced injuries for car accidents. Um, motorcycle accidents have certainly filled that spot at the end of the day, their motorcyclists are just not, they just don't have the protection, right. That a car is going to provide you. You're pretty much out there. Um, and especially if you're not wearing a helmet, I mean, your head, is exposed and if you're doing 60 miles per hour 65 70 obviously we've got speed limits of 70 miles per hour and there's an accident it can be catastrophic and and we certainly see it Um, right now uh, we've uh, kind of just had a case that uh, involved the death of a motorcyclist Um, he was going along a highway in a tractor-trailer, big semi-truck, was pulling from the shoulder and didn't see him and pulled out and bam, the motorcycle hits the trailer and instantly kills um, the deceased. And he left behind a wife and young children. And um, I mean, we've had every imaginable injury on motorcycles. I mean, We've seen lost limbs, lost, you know, leg, um, arm injuries, multiple fractures, um, head injuries, just the whole run of it. So um, if we're looking again, I was doing some research and here's basically the summary of what you can kind of see with motorcycles and motorcycle accidents. Um, and majority of them happen on ur- urban roads as opposed to rural roads, which, again, probably makes a lot of sense, right? Because, you know, the more cars you have around, well, the more likely there's going to be a an accident. Um, usually in good weather, and I think that's probably because motorcyclists probably aren't as light to go out if it's raining right or or bad weather um about half of these accidents occur at night so half during the day um and we see them both ways we see a lot of motorcycle accidents that happen during the day um and then um the majority of the motorcycle uh fatalities occur have occurred again i'm looking at stats through 2021 um involving two vehicles or three vehicles the single motorcycle vehicle accident is on the uh, minority side and um also the majority um almost two-thirds of these accidents um have no alcohol involvement on the part of the motorcyclist. Um, So kind of interesting facts there. And this is, again, those are all statistics around fatality accidents involving motorcycles. So again, you know, there's no escaping the fact that motorcycles are dangerous. Um, They, again, according to the, statistics that although motorcycles only make up 3% of all registered vehicles and 0.6% of all vehicle miles traveled in the United States, um, motorcyclists accounted for 14% of all traffic fatalities. Um, 17% of all occupant fatalities and 3% of all occupant injuries in 2021. So again, There's not as many motorcycles by any means, but they do account for a lot of deaths and injuries. So, moving on. Oh, and another interesting fact is 76% of motorcycle accidents are a collision from the front. And that is our experience as well. So, I mean, I feel like, so that's 76%. I mean, I feel like, nine out of ten motorcycle accidents that we get involved in, involve like somebody pulling out in front of the motorcyclist, whether they're sitting there at a stop sign, Um, the the at-fault driver is at a stop sign, the motorcyclist is coming down the street, and they don't see the motorcyclist. They pull out, bam, collision, and that's how it unfolds and i just mentioned you know the one where the truck driver starts pulling off from the shoulder clearly i we have to assume he didn't see the motorcyclist coming down the highway and you know so now obviously most motorcycles at this point um they have headlights on the front obviously a, a very wise thing to have some kind of a light on the front but again this is what happens that's why Every May, you know, there's the campaign to bring awareness to motorcycles, right? Keep an eye out, watch out for motorcyclists, um, because again, that's what happens is people just don't see them, and they pull out in front of them or whatever, and a collision unfolds. Okay, so when it comes to an actual motorcycle accident injury claim, here's some of the key things that need to be thought about as somebody moves through that process so number one is just okay the accident has happened i mean what's most important well you've got to make sure that all the evidence that might be needed is preserved and so what does that look like Well, so for one, obviously, are there witnesses to this? And witnesses and or video, whether there's video footage from a store that's nearby, um, some other video footage, does the at-fault driver, did they have a dash cam? You know, now a lot of motorcyclists wear a helmet cam. um, So they have the little camera up here. And they have that on while they're riding. And I think that's super smart because why? Well, again, as opposed to a lot of car accidents, when there's a motorcycle accident, a lot of times the motorcyclist is incapacitated. So the accident happens, they're seriously hurt. They, I mean, they may have head trauma. They may not remember anything. And so to put a claim together against the other driver, the evidence is going to have to be there to support that the other driver did something wrong. And, you know, for one, if the motorcyclist doesn't remember anything, can't tell anybody what happened. I mean, I've had people call me loved ones calling for somebody that was hurt in a motorcycle accident. They've called While the person's still in the hospital and the person is completely incapacitated um, and they're reaching out, they're, they're trying to get help because they know this is a serious injury. They know this is a life changing event. And so, you know, we go about the process of making sure we get on the evidence part of it to really lock down what happened and who all is at fault. And again, we want to know, I mean, were there witnesses? Are there people that we need to reach out to, find out what they saw? Is there going to be video from any source, Uh, anything like that? We want to make sure there's video, there's photos of all the vehicles involved. We also want to go to the scene and we want to make sure that if for any reason, let's say the at-fault driver says that their vision was obscured by something. We want to, we want to see that we want, we want to go and we want to be there in a car at that stop sign, looking the same direction that the at fault driver should have been looking. And, you know, is there truly any obstruction there? And if there is, what is it? And, you know, is somebody responsible for creating some obstruction to the view? Uh, These are all things, again, when you have a very catastrophically injured person, we've got to look everywhere because this is life changing and we want to make sure we're trying to get all the compensation by anyone who might be responsible. Um, And so those are, those are key points uh, to, to what needs to happen at first. Also, Talked about this on previous episodes, uh, the electronic control module. We want to see that you know, do we need to get that from the other at fault driver's vehicle to find out did they even stop before the collision? Because again, those electronic control modules, also commonly called the black box, that's going to record about five seconds before the collision. So when a collision happens, immediately The black box in our modern-day cars records like the prior five seconds. So we're going to see, you know, what their speed was. Were they increasing speed, decreasing speed? Had they braked? Had they not braked? You can tell, right? So did they even stop? How about this? Were they on their phone, right? Were they even looking? So, again, we may want to be working to get the cell phone records of, that at-fault driver to find out, you know, were they distracted? Um, Were they really even looking as they claim to have been? Um, These are all the things that go into that process of getting evidence locked down. Because time is of the essence with most of that stuff. And if you go, or the further you go away from the accident, things can get lost. And so you got to move quickly. And, you know, this is hard too, because a lot of times, again, when something this catastrophic happens, obviously, like a lot of people aren't thinking immediately, like, oh, I want to go after this person, that person, whatever. I mean, they're sitting there in the hospital with their loved one, you know, on a breathing machine, whatever. They're just worried about whether or not that person is going to make it. So they're not even thinking about it. And meanwhile, things, time is still going on. And, you know, insurance companies uh, are getting involved for at-fault drivers because they have probably learned about the accident. They're going to do everything on their part to uh, get all the information they need. Obviously, their goal is to try and spin it with as, least liability as they have to on their insured. And so this is always kind of tough because people don't, they don't want to talk about lawyers and legal claims and all that stuff when this really heavy life-changing event has occurred. And again, they have one focus, which is their loved one. But unfortunately, that's the reality of the situation. You just can't afford to wait because it could really affect things down the road. So those are all kinds of the things that you need to think about when, when an accident like this happens. And again, you know, if it's, if it's less than catastrophic injury and, you know, but it's still very serious, then obviously it makes it easier for you to be thinking about all of this. Um, and in working to make sure things are properly preserved because again once they're gone they're gone. And so then once you kind of identify all the players we we can say right all the the people that are potentially responsible for causing this accident then you know also you got to start contacting insurance companies um, and and you've got to start the claims process with those. And now, again, this is where I always say uh, you're in the danger zone because now you're making direct contact with insurance companies and everything you say can and will be held against you in a court of law. So you got to proceed really cautiously. Um, if you're the injured person and you're making that contact, you do not want to give them a recorded statement. You do not have to give them a recorded statement. They're going to want to take a recorded statement, but you don't have to do that. And the reason you don't want to do that is because, again, especially if you're seriously injured, if there's any question about how this happened, you know, there's going to be a a fight over um responsibility, whatever that looks like, then there's a high likelihood there's going to be a lawsuit, which at that point there they are allowed to sit down. And with a court reporter, uh, obviously you have your lawyer there. But everything they're going to ask you questions. Everything you say is going to be transcribed by that court reporter. They're making a record of it. Okay. Now you've also probably told the police again if you're you know not incapacitated. um, You've probably given the police your version of what happened. And so there's two times you've talked about what happened. If you give a recorded statement, that's a third time. And what happens is, especially, you know, if you're talking to insurance companies or whatever, right after it happens, I mean, even when you're talking to the police and it just happened, there's a lot going on. And, you know, if you've never been in an automobile accident, some kind of serious trauma like that, you know, there's a state of shock that's unfolding and so people are asking questions you may not be thinking clearly whatever and you you say one version later on you realize that is no that's not true i i mean that is not that was a not the way it happened and i was totally not recalling that correctly but as we go down right if you're talking to the insurance company it's a recorded statement you're giving them a version this differs from the version you gave to the police officers. And then later on down the road, if you're in a deposition and you're under oath for the lawsuit and you're talking and your version there changes, even my, they're going to use those inconsistencies against you to hurt your claim. So the less opportunities you put out there to, have varying versions of what happened, the better. And what you need to remember is, you know, you need some time to go by, you need to process everything, get your wits about you. And at that point you can talk. Uh, and again, you can, you know, have a lawyer with you and, you know, settle yourself and, that's why it's just so important. You just do not want to give a recorded statement. And again, every insurance company is going to say, I want to get a recorded statement from you. And, you know, they're going to act like that's standard protocol. And you basically have to do it. And at the end of the day, you don't. You do not have to give them a recorded statement, especially if you've outlined what you said, what you told the police officer, something like that. Fine. Now, again, you know, if you were incapacitated, let's say you weren't able to speak to police officers or anything like that and it's been a while and now the claim is getting set up and the insurance company wants to hear from you as to what happened because there is no record of you saying anything well at that point you can talk with the insurance company not recorded you can tell them your version of what happened and again it's best if uh, you've got a lawyer and and you've consulted with the lawyer and you've been asked all the questions right already so that you have a good recall on what it is you remember what it is you don't remember because guessing can wreck a claim you know you start guessing about your speed the other car's speed distances time how long it was between the time you saw that car and the time they pulled out the time of the collision things that you do not know because you didn't have a timer going and everything happens split second. I mean, those are all the things that can trip you up. So, and you got to be prepared to recognize what you do know and what you don't know and that you don't guess. That's important. So you get your claims set up with the insurance company, again, depending on the severity of the injuries, the magnitude of this on your life, If you're going to have past medical care, you're going to have future medical care, you've missed work, you're going to continue missing work again, right? Just depending on how big of a deal this is, you know, there's a high likelihood it could end up in a lawsuit. And so a lawyer can recognize pretty quickly, depending on the severity of it, whether or not it's even worth trying. To deal with the insurance company earlier on rather than just going ahead, filing a lawsuit, getting it in that process. Because through that process, everything is fully explored. Experts are brought in. Things are really hammered out. All the evidence is brought forward. And it's at that point that insurance companies can be in the best position to really take the claim serious. You know we're facing a jury trial if we don't get it resolved, and you know insurance companies they fear juries, Uh, and they fear lawyers that will take it all the way to a jury, and so that's sometimes just if if it's a catastrophic type event, it has to be a lawsuit. It has to be a lawsuit. Otherwise, it's going nowhere, or it's going somewhere cheap, and you don't want that. You don't want either one of those. So those are the things, you get that evidence together, you get your claims set up with all potentially responsible parties. And again, we have had situations where people think, oh, it's just that car's fault. That's it. There's nothing else. And then we we get involved and we're like, well, hold on. They're saying that they had their vision obscured by the signs that were in this yard, this growth that had th- these bushes and things right that were overgrown and it created a dangerous situation for people pulling up at the stop sign because they weren't able to see clearly when they made the decision to pull out and and they didn't have any other choice because you get to like you had to get so far out into the roadway that at that point it was go time and it's been known to be a dangerous situation and now all of a sudden there's potentially somebody else that's responsible These are the types of things that an experienced accident lawyer just knows to look for, knows what's important. And so that kind of transitions me into, you know, why does somebody even consider getting a lawyer? I mean, I've already kind of indicated some of the important parts, right? There's a lot of potential to make mistakes. All throughout this process. And again, I mean, as a personal injury lawyer, as a motorcycle accident injury lawyer, I mean, we do not like getting the call four months down the road, six months down the road. Somebody finally decides to call us. And, you know, we start asking questions about, well, okay, so you're saying this is what happened, right? Are there witnesses? Well, Not that I know of, okay, Um, any video? Did you ever check to see, you know, did you have video? Did the other driver have a dash? No, I mean, I don't have any idea, okay? Um, So you didn't search out for any witnesses? You don't think there's any video? Oh, the other driver saying that you were speeding, okay? What about them? Did you ask for the black box data to see what their story is? Um, The black box data? They don't even know. Uh, you know, so it's important, it's important to be ahead of things. A lawyer, personal injury lawyer knows what they're doing. They get on it. Um, and I always try to differentiate, right? If you call the family lawyer that you had for your divorce or that traffic ticket or whatever, and you're like, Hey, I was hurt. It was a motorcycle accident. And they're like, Oh yeah, I'll sign you up. Sure. And they sign you up and then they kind of put your file over here because they're going to court on the traffic tickets or the divorces or whatever. And they're like, well, it'll all come together at some point when, you know, Susan's done treating and I'll put it all together. I'll send it off to the insurance and, you know, we'll get a settlement. And then meanwhile, six months, a year down the road nothing was done on the front side that should have been done so man you want to make sure you you got somebody that knows motorcycle accidents knows the intricacies of those um again could have if if it's an issue could have the motorcycle inspected by a motorcycle expert make sure everything was functioning on the motorcycle at the time um there's just so many little components and then you go into just the process of dealing with the insurance company Personal injury lawyers, we know the insurance games. We know how they work. We know how they think. We know what motivates them. Um, so just having us involved, it, it, I, I don't know how else to say it, but it it truly benefits somebody to maximize a claim. And, you know, I just I know how we work, and I know how the majority of personal injury lawyers work. We work on when money hits the table. That's when we get paid and we don't get paid until then. So we're working for free all throughout the process. And if for some reason it goes south and there's no money, you don't owe us anything. Now, what kind of cases do we get involved in? The ones that we know we're getting money, that we know it may take a fight. It may take a lot of resources, may take a lot of money on our part put the claim together there. Again, we pay for everything right up front. So if if from the littlest thing, we need to buy the accident report for 11 bucks to the biggest thing, we need to pay $5,000 to a, an accident reconstruction expert. Um, we need to pay $5,000 to a medical expert. That's going to talk about the lifelong problems that Susan's going to have right? Coming out of this, whatever that is, we pay for all that stuff out of pocket. As we go along, only reimburse it when a settlement happens. And if no settlement happens, nobody owes us a thing. So to me, it, it lies in the realm of no brainer. If you've got serious injuries, you got life-changing injuries, um, you get a lawyer because they are going to maximize the claim and not just any lawyer, a motorcycle injury lawyer. You want to make sure these lawyers that you're dealing with, they've handled motorcycle accidents. They understand the arguments that come from insurance companies when motorcycles are involved, the prejudices, right? A lot of people, they hear a motorcycle injury and they start immediately thinking about the guy that's doing wheelies down the highway. They're like, those dumb butts, they're always doing stupid stuff, and guess what? Yep, got hurt. Well, here's what we know, is not every motorcycle rider is doing stupid stuff, and many of the motorcyclists, they have bikes that wouldn't do stupid stuff, right? Nice sport touring bikes, and I mean, I had a jury one time, and you know, I was sensing right that and in picking the jury i i just asked i said hey here's the deal you know my client over here he rides his motorcycle to and from work and enjoys it sometimes on the weekends and he's not hot riding around but let me ask you this you know how many of you sitting here are basically think if you're a motorcycle rider you get what you deserve for being out there on a motorcycle? And I was able to weed out a lot of people um, that kind of had that built in prejudice. And again, you got to know that. I mean, as a lawyer, you got to know what you're up against because if you don't, if you're in a jury trial and you, you don't weed those folks out, well, you're really swimming upstream in trying to get this person compensated for something that wasn't their fault, just because people have, an underlying prejudice. And at the end of the day, you want people on a jury that don't have any preformed opinions that could affect their judgment, right? The law requires people sitting on a jury. They only are going to base their verdict on the evidence in the case. And again, everybody's got opinions and that's fine, but you can't have any opinions So strongly that are going to affect your judgment in that case. That's the key. So I hope you've enjoyed uh, and found informative this overview of motorcycle accident injuries. Um, Again, they're kind of a special area of the personal injury world. Uh, They do involve certain things that just your standard car accident doesn't. And so it's really important if you're seriously hurt. Um, Make sure, you know, uh, again, self-serving statement, but I just can't say it enough. Get in contact with a lawyer. It's a huge mistake not to. And I hope, again, you found this useful. If you did, I always ask, please leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. Share this podcast with others that you may know that could use it. And until next time, I am Eric Bartlett. Stay well, stay safe.